Hi everybody, it's Joe and Joe and A Place to Thrive, your most favourite podcast ever. And we're very excited about our guest today. We are joined by Paul Farmer, the CEO of Mind. He also led the Stevenson Farmer Review or the Thriving at Work Review, which was a huge piece of work commissioned by the then Prime Minister Theresa May to look at mental health in the workplace. So we've got a lot to talk to him about. We have. Very excited. Very excited. So we hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, please give us a rating and a review. A nice one, please. Don't Um, forget to subscribe. And yes, so you don't miss out on future episodes. Please do subscribe so you get us in your ears every week. Anyway, over to Paul. Paul, thank you so much for joining us to record this episode of A Place to Thrive. Um, For the listeners, we're sat in a little wooden leather clad booth in Soho, which is very very cool. Very cool. I feel a little bit inadequate in the context. Oh, well, there you go. Like, that's, we're, like we're not usually. That's a statement on our mental health right there. You feel like very cool and I feel very inadequate. Oh, bless I think you. it's rather nice. Good. I think, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. It's good. Paul, do you mind introducing yourself? And sure. I'm really interested in why you decided to get into working in mental health. So first of all, hello, Joes. Uh, lovely <laughs> to meet you, you both. Uh, I'm feeling very, very cosy in this Good. warm space. It's lovely. Want. And thanks for asking me on your podcast. So I've, I've been working in mental health for a, a huge number, far too many years to mention. <laughs> and I started my, I suppose, my reasons why I got involved, like so many people who work in mental health, is uh, something I experienced amongst my friends at university. A very good friend of mine had a really bad what we would now call a breakdown. None of us really knew what was going on to her. Nobody at the university really Mm, handled it terribly well. We as her friends didn't handle it terribly well. And that then made me also realise that actually my mum had probably almost certainly had an undiagnosed mental health problems. And she was of that generation where really nobody really ever accepted, you know, Mm. never talked about it. And that kind of stiff upper lip kind of generation. And uh, so that's, I suppose that was always there in the background and, um, you know, like lots of people, you kind of wander into jobs and I wandered into a job which uh, at Samaritans as they're one oh. of their very early press officers oh, wow. uh, doing comms for, for them. And it's a little bit like I walked in through the door of the office. So the Samaritans head office used to be in Slough, which has uh, just nice. created a whole load of jokes all, 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 all of its own. <laughs> and uh, I, I remember just walking through that office and just thinking into that space and just thinking, yep, this is this is a space that I feel very comfortable in. It's a kind of environment the people were, you know, very empathetic, of course, lovely Samaritans people, but also, you know, there was a real kind of sense of purpose. And that's really where I started working in the kind of emotional and mental health areas, if you like. And I've worked, I've been very lucky every time I kind of, you know, either needed to or wanted to move roles, I've been able to stay inside not just the charity sector, which I'm massively passionate about, which is almost certainly another podcast for another day, <laughs> yeah. uh, but a um, but also working in the emotional and mental health charities. So I worked at Samaritans, I went to Rethink, another oh, uh, mental health charity, yeah. and now here I am at Mind. So you talk a little bit about the um, about having the right foundations within an organisation, and yeah. you felt that as soon as you went into the Samaritans. Um, you know, developing cultures and working with my clients is something that I'm really passionate about, you know, setting the right foundations. Could you give us some guidance and tips from your perspective as to what would be the good foundations for any other organisation or an employer setting up, you know, a new business? What What would be the things to look out for and 
Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think now that people are beginning to talk about mental health, Mm. they're actually also beginning to think about mental health. And as they start thinking about it, they think about... They start to think very in a very straightforward and all, but also it's on a very complicated way about <laughs> yeah. what are the found what are those foundation stones that you need to set. So I think one of the things we learned from the Thriving at Work review was the importance of working conditions, working mm. environment. Yeah. Environment is important. You know, we're sitting in this really nice kind of cozy yeah. space, and it immediately makes us mm. feel. Uh, quite differently from if we were in a kind of very steel kind of, you know, box. Mm. It makes you feel different. So how do you want people to feel when they walk in through the door as your team, as your staff members? What do you want people to feel when they come in through the door? That's the first question you can ask. And then those working environments then, of course, translate immediately into what about your, into your people. So what do you want your people to be doing, saying, communicating in a whole variety of different ways so that you're making people welcome. So you almost have to think back. One of the challenges we say to people is think back to your very first day in your last job. How? Did, what was it like? How did it feel? What happened when you walked through the door? Who met you? Who welcomed you? Mm, what mm. What happened then? What was the conversation you had? What did you do? And that is almost you almost have to try to be as meticulous as that. Yes. As you're, if you're really going to embed your the and kind I think of it's idea about of well-being, having some deep thought about it. Yeah. You know, being really quite purposeful about you know wanting to create the right right foundation. So it's not just the aesthetics. You know, and you know sure. the office layout and all of that, because you know that does obviously help. But it, you know, I, I completely agree with the behavioural piece as well. But also the feeling. You know, we're, we mm. are human, and that emotive side of us, you know, it displays in everything that we do, and that obviously translates to the workplace as well. So yeah. Yeah, I was really pleased to hear you talk about kind of how people feel, how, whether someone met you, how they speak to you, what your, you know, the, that sort of human interaction that you have with people. Because if I think back to when I took three months out of work when I had a breakdown a couple of years ago it was that human interaction that you know my organization was very supportive I had lots of time off I had healthcare EAP um, services but it was those small human interactions that had a lasting impact on me both positive and negative and when I'm kind of talking to clients and people about um, doing something about mental health in the workplace, what I hear a lot is, oh, I'm scared I'm going to say the wrong thing, or I'm not qualified, I haven't been on the training. And it kind of infuriates me. I understand it, but it infuriates me a little bit because I try and say to people, you don't need to be qualified to be an empathetic human. And that can often be some of the most powerful interactions that you can have mm. with someone when you're struggling with your mental health. Yeah, you're totally right. And I think, and I think one of the things we see a lot is is, ha- is this kind of idea that you have to be something that you you actually don't need to be. You don't need to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Yeah, absolutely. You, you mainly need to be a human being. Yes, and, yes, and that's, yes, that's, yes. Kind of, that's job one. Uh, and, uh, and and in dialing up your human beingness, if such a word exists, it does now. You, you, <laughs> you have to kind of you, when you're especially for managers. So we do mm. lots of work with managers because I think it's yeah. often middle managers particularly who often face the kind of toughest space yes. because mm-hmm. the, you know mm-hmm. they push from the, mm. a, above push from below mm. how do they get that balance right and actually mainly by dialing up their inner human I mm. think so yeah. you know appealing to the working with their teams thinking about what the team the needs of their teams are 
and understanding those people is is a really you know I think is a really it's, it's such a it's such an obvious thing to say but I think quite often you know we assume expect managers to automatically be like that yeah. so mm-hmm. I do think there's mm-hmm. a role mm-hmm. that's where there's a bit of a role I think both for kind of policies which I know you know they're not going to solve solve everything but they do give people the kind of rules they set the rules of the they game don't they? they kind of say yeah, this is what, sure. what how we do things around here and then also I think for training as well because we it's not so much that the, nobody people don't have that ability. Most people do have that empathetic ability. But sometimes in a work environment, people somehow feel as though they shouldn't mm. expose that mm. because maybe they mm. might expose some of their own, mm. uh, something that's going on in their, their own lives. So, you know, we know that whenever people talk about their own mental health issues in the workplace, actually, as leaders, people go, oh, that's really good because mm. it makes you look a bit more human, yeah. makes you yes. look a bit more, yeah. you know, a bit more yeah. like us. So, yeah. but people are still, I think, a bit nervous about doing that. Yeah. Well, we were talking about the authenticity piece, weren't we, in the uh, in the Uber on the way over here. And I, I think it's really interesting because, you know, you, you just talked there, Paul, about, you know, focusing on training or training being good for managers. And I, I actually believe it goes beyond that because I think, you yeah. know, first and foremost, managers are individuals in their own right. And if they have awareness of themselves in their entirety, but also awareness of their own well-being as well, which encompasses mental health. And this is not just about mental health. This is about good leadership, good management, yeah, yeah. everything, isn't it? This is about understanding who you are and I'm sure lots of lots of people who listen to this podcast would have gone on a course where they've kind of identified what kind of a person they are, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. and they're all helpful, actually, because they do they help are. you to think a bit about who you are. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I think I think that's also quite important in terms of people understanding where they were both, you know, what sort of a bit about what, where their tolerance levels are yes. and where they're, what they're, what they find easy and what they find difficult. But, you know, one thing that I've learned in certainly working in this job is that you never, you never stop working on yourself. Mm. You always have to try to think about the thing and go to the places that you find difficult Mm. and try those places because that's the only way you really, you know, you're you're really going to learn. And, you know, a guy uh, the other day was talking about those, you know, the way you use those kind of muscles. And those are the kind of emotional muscles that sometimes Mm. you have to learn by making sure that you don't just always sit in in the perfect comfort zone. Mm -hmm. You do Mm -hmm. have to try that stuff. But when you do it, you also have to say, sometimes you have to say to people, I'm I'm not very comfortable, you know, out here in this space, you know, asking you how you are. Mm. Actually, I don't necessarily feel that comfortable, but people will I think help you if yes, you're, yes. you know, if you're in that team, if you've got that We're sense of that team. Vulnerability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's there's always I think there's something in that. Mm. But UK PLC is not there yet. I don't mm. think are they? I don't know what you. Is that your sense that you've got? Yeah, there's a I way mean, to go. I've I from the work I've been doing with companies, I feel like a lot of companies get that they need to do something about well-being. They need to be focusing on employees' emotional and mental well-being. But there is a there is a fear there and there's a lack of understanding, I think, of what they can and should be doing. Mm. And on a certainly an individual level, there's a lot of fear and, and lack of understanding. And I do think it's the fear that fear keeps us iller for longer. The fear of, you know, the idea that I might have been unwell certainly kept me more ill than I needed to be for longer than I needed to be. It stopped me from getting the help I needed. It stopped me from being an honest human being at work and starting to shift the culture in my own team by doing so. So yeah, I do feel like there's 
there's a way to go. But I think that that we're kind of pushing against an open door in that people get that they need to and want to do something about this in the whole on the whole. Yes, now. yeah. I think you're right. We're, I th- I think we're moving from. We talk. We talk a bit about the um, the fruit and pilates approach to mental mm. health. Nothing I heard wrong. you um, talking about this the other day and did a little <laughs> dance. The fruit and pilates. Love that. Yeah. So we love fruit. Yes. Very good. Thoroughly enjoy pilates. Very, well. like and pilates and, and a lot of people yes. love pilates too. I'm, <laughs> but I'm not really. That. It's not. I'm not. It's very supple, so I'm not very good at that. <laughs> but but I think I think we we've started moving into a space where people are recognising that those kinds of well-being approaches, which are good, you know, don't get me wrong, they are important for, for organisations to put to mm. put as part of your package of support. Oh, Paul, you're so polite. I would call those things benefits rather than well, approaches they, to well-being myself. That's also a good You're much politer than I am. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with them. But if you're really serious about your workplace well-being you know just forget the idea that fruit and pilates is going to crack it mm-hmm. uh, you know that's way if you can get into culture management style and some you know kind of sacred cows of business modeling so you know some we're now hearing organize and look, talking to organizations you know who have Operated on things like billable, a billable hours culture, which is their entire mm. business culture, mm-hmm. where they would tick, and they're beginning to think about whether they should even do that because of the way that places huge amounts of stress on their people. So actually, yes. really starting to go quite deep into some of the big issues. And you know, we're in gorgeous Soho, and you know, the agency culture, mm. which has you know lots of fun attached to it. But, you know, there's that the whole kind of deadline, that mm-hmm. kind of mm. deadline day you know, kind of mania, for if I can use that word. Do you have to do it like that? Mm. So I wonder whether there are things that people are beginning to get into now. I think that's really interesting because I feel like that's where a lot of the fear comes from in leadership, is that by scratching the surface of well-being in the workplace, we're actually going to get to, does our business model work? Do we need to change the way we work? How are we going to turn the juggernaut of changing leaders and managers from being focused on output delivery deadlines to being more human and starting with people we were were talking to another guest just yesterday and she was saying that there's this kind of holy trinity of people clear positioning and commercial output and the three are totally interlinked and if one falls down then all of them fall down and I think you're right that that some of those deeper more thorny difficult to challenge and, and change issues like the whole business model for me is is kind of the root of some of the fear around tackling some of this stuff when it comes to leadership so yeah I think I think we've got a way to go on these bits but it's and great I, to hear that there are companies who are doing, it, doing yeah. it yeah and I think there's an element of the leadership fear as well you know because in looking at your organizational model and you know looking at uh, well-being and employees and the environment and all of that I think there's an there if if leaders are being really honest with themselves they should be also reflecting on how they turn up and how they mm. role model in the workplace and I think that you know there's almost comfort in set hours and working late because you're showing passion and there's nothing wrong with that but I think the role modeling can have a, a flip side because if if you are passionate like I said there's nothing wrong with that but that can extend to working longer hours you know sending mm. emails mm. late and then that then creates a culture whereby people feel that they should have to do exactly the same and then it becomes about presenteeism it, be, it becomes about you know ticking off the KPIs and, and delivery 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 when actually for me it's more about how people feel in the workplace because if they're feeling well that translates into 
jolly damn good work because you mm. enjoy it. Mm. That translates into happier customers. But for me, I think that then makes work feel much more human. And I going back to the leadership piece, I think a lot of leaders need to self-reflect a lot, lot more and take ownership for their role and their mm. influence in creating the right cultures. And also they need to look after their own well-being. Yeah. So, exactly. So, you know, I think exactly. lots of leaders are seen to be kind of Teflon and yes. uh, and there's a bit of a kind of boys thing about macho culture and all those kinds of things, mm. which I think is really changing in boardrooms generally. I think, you know, the diversity of people in the boardroom, but also the way people are thinking about their role as leaders. So so let, let's why don't we talk about e- email out of our emails? This is a bit of a <laughs> hobby horse of mine. So, <laughs> so we so I'll tell you a story about something we did at Mind. We were talking about this thing with our senior management team and we were talking about how there were some people who were sending yeah, out of hours emails and we all sat looked at each other in the room and basically we all put our hands up and went <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah yeah and so we've we have now have in Introduced. It's not a policy. It's not a policy. It's a. Paul's pointing at me because on the way down to the studio, I was moaning about the word policies and how a, I don't don't particularly enjoy policies. I think the best way of describing it is it's a thing, but it's probably. But I think we would probably translate that as being a behaviour, yeah. um, which is our kind of we call it our eight to eight rule. So we don't expect people to email or respond to emails before 8am or after 8pm. And some people might go, wait, 8 to 8, that's a lot. But people, when we talk to people about it, lots of people said, well, we do actually quite like to work flexibly. So mm-hmm. if I mm-hmm. so want to go home and pick up my kids at yeah. 3 or 4 yeah. or 5, I actually don't do want to get back onto my email at 6 or 7. So I don't, I don't want it to be so mm-hmm. tight. So it allows people to be flexible. Mm-hmm. But it also sends quite a clear message. And the other thing is this thing about people who send emails on holiday... Can we really? Why do people do yes. that? You sh- yes. If you're on holiday for a reason, and I don't just don't think it's good for you to be but doing that. But I think that. it's also the fear factor. There's a, that fear of missing out. There's that fear that, oh, I'm not the leader I'm trying to pretend yeah, to yeah. be. You know, there's there's that, that fear of, you know, many fears encompassed in that. And I think therein it's, lies a big problem. It's also confusing for the team that you have Absolutely. empowered to yeah. run things in your absence. Yeah. Yeah. When I went back to work, I talk about it as like resetting my own SLA with my company, my own service yeah. agreement with the company. Nice. I decided I wasn't going to look at emails before or after work or out of hours because I found it really triggering. And my team knew that. And they knew that if they needed me, they could text me or call me and I would answer any time. I decided that I would slightly tweak my working hours. I had in my head that I wouldn't have more than X number of meetings in a day. Because even now I work for myself, I find Mm. that really triggering and Mm. really stress-inducing and anxiety-inducing. And I think you kind of forget that there are certain things that you can decide for yourself and Mm. reset the boundaries with your own organisation if you need to. But I I think you're right, setting something a thing, like the 8 to 8 rule, is it really does send a message to the organisation. And I... I love the fact that you asked your employees what they wanted because obviously that's going to make it so much more impactful and useful for people. It becomes a self-regulating thing. Yes. So you don't you don't need to wrap a lot around mm. it because people just say if whatever, you know, we, of course we know that sometimes there are, we live in a 24/7 yeah. space with social media teams and media teams yeah. and so on and so forth. Of course there's you know there are exactly you have to there's kind of approaches that you mm. have to have for specific teams but but mainly people look after each other by saying oh I didn't notice that 
and, and people also learning the skill of the saving the email in your draft folder. I know. You know, which well, is such you, a, what's a, what's a, a radical scheduler. thought. I yeah. found a scheduler on Google. Yeah. You know, that's great because that means I can work in my own time. Mm. But actually, then I'm not bombarding yeah. clients out of their hours, you know, and mm. it's entirely up to me how I work. Then. There's also... Um, Someone that I know called Jane Fordham, she's a diversity and inclusion consultant. She works herself, she works flexibly around her family, and she has something in her email signature that says, I work flexibly around my life and my family, so you may get an email from me out of hours. Of course, please only respond to this when you are working Mm. or you feel it's appropriate. And I just Mm. think that's such a great proactive way of handling it. So does that mean, do you think that we, we're now in a space increasingly where people are, you know, there's a dialogue that's going, that should happen between an individual, member, an individual member of staff or a team and their quotes managers mm. that kind of says this is how we want to work, how we want to work together. Is that, is that where you think we're heading now? Is that, sorry, I'm asking you I the mean, question. It's, You're supposed to be asking me the question. Anyway. It's fine. <laughs> it's, it's, this is the conversation. <laughs> we were talking about this very thing on the, on on the, the way, way in. in morning, yeah. Because we were talking about the whole push for a four-day week. Oh, and yeah. I personally have this real aversion to that idea. Because, and the reason is, I think a five-day week is a constructed a constructed boundaries for how you should work. And a four-day week is exactly the same, just in four days. So, for me, I have worked all the hours God sent in my career when I worked for companies and agencies and I worked in comms as well and absolutely the kind of deadline mania is is a reality. And now that I work for myself, it's taken me months to get myself out of the nine to five culture and to learn and figure out for myself how and when I work best. Mm. And I work best in the afternoons. And so I would quite like to do five short days in the long term. I don't want to do four days at nine to five. I don't want to do five days at nine to five. So you're going to have a chat with yourself? I'm going to have a chat with myself (laughs) and my cat, my colleague. (laughs) Me and the cat. Um, I hope and I wish that we reach the kind of utopia where an individual can say to their boss, look, I just don't work well between 9 and 11, so I'm going to do 11 till 7 or whatever, and take an actual human individualistic approach. I think it feels like we're a very long way from that. And I get the four-day week push because it's something tangible that people can understand and that people can move towards and it doesn't feel so far from five days. But to me, it's just sticking people in another box that's slightly smaller than the original box. And and in a sense, the the drift, if there is a, a kind of social drift, is towards a kind of... 24-7 working space mm. for all kinds of different reasons where the individual is choosing which exactly. at, where they're going to kind of draw down their work yes. space mm-hmm. and where they're going to work, draw mm-hmm. down their mm. time space uh, their own time space and you know that's a radical shift mm. radical shift from from where we are but it, it's evolved mm. into a space where people are increasingly making their own choices and it's it's quite interesting I was just thinking about you and your uber this morning um you know lots of people feel very uncomfortable about some aspects of the gig economy because you know because for all kinds of reasons about the nature of the employment and the instability yeah. of the employment mm-hmm. around that and i think that's an issue of course but some people also use it as a mechanism for taking control of their lives by choosing mm, yes. what they yeah. what they kind of log into and that's the beauty of it isn't so it so the tension then we're starting to create is that tension between <laughs> the requirement of a service or a, yeah. you know, a hospital or a, mm-hmm. you know a, a, a something that we all rely on whatever that might be 
and the the equal requirement of the individual to kind of say, well, actually, this is the way I want to work. Now, this is going to take a kind of societal truce uh, on mo- monumental a monumental yeah. level, mm-hmm. isn't it, to get that mm-hmm. right? But I wonder if we can start to see, especially flexible working, where where that could really help, mm-hmm. and job shares, which of course yeah. is something which is you know, it's struggle, often struggled to really work mm. in organisations. I think the key thing that underpins all the flexibility piece and, you know, moving into an era where we, we can have greater flexibility, you know, in, in that 24-7 that you talk about, the thing that underpins it for me is trust. Mm. Because I know that when I am trusted to deliver, I'm trusted to work in my own space um, with, with autonomy, I am a better employee and I know that when I have trusted my team members to work in the hours that suit them, but it's been wrapped around goals that we've agreed together, you know, so you've given them the framework, you've given them the support, you've given them the training, whatever it may be, they can go off and do it in their own free way. You know, I've employed them because they're experts and they've got great attitude, but I trust them then implicitly to go and deliver whenever they feel suits them Mm. you know and and the last team that I managed before I was made redundant we had a really really great team culture and some of them were early workers that's cool I was not (laughs) I'm a grumpy cat in the morning (laughs) Um, you know so invariably I wouldn't get in till 10 o'clock but then I would work later because that suited me and also my colleagues were in San Francisco and you know so there was a time zone um, issue going on there too but I think underpinning it all was the trust piece you know what the opposite of trust is fear <laughs> yeah that's why I think yeah. when it comes to companies the to for a leadership team or your manager to trust you enough mm-hmm. to say crazy she's gonna let her team work when they want and how they want that manager of yours or that leadership team needs to trust you as well yeah and it is going to be it's like turning a juggernaut from where we are now to starting that kind of more flexible individualistic culture but we joe and i talk a lot about starting where you are and i really believe in that because when i worked in my last organization and i came back from being off being mad still mad just was particularly mad at that point (laughs) (laughs) um i started to shift things in my own team i had a team of 12 and it really really changed the way it changed the culture of our team it turned us into a more open honest supportive team um and other people in the team who had struggled with their own mental health felt comfortable talking not just to me but to the whole team about it and i remember when i first sat down with them when i came back and had a kind of open conversation in our team meeting about what had happened to me and how i felt and how i needed to change the way i worked there were some definitely kind of shocked awkward faces in the room but in, over the course of a few months, it really started to make a change. And I think by starting where you are, changing the way you work, mm-hmm. and if you have the influence to do so, changing the way your team works or giving them more trust and flexibility, that creates a ripple effect in a company. It's interesting though, isn't it? I completely agree with what you're saying. I think there's also that, then there's that cre- that question about uh if you're if you're an organisation, say if you're a large organisation and you want yeah. to be clear to people about what you're expected culture is do you say it's perfectly acceptable to have a very kind of structured team doing mm-hmm. operating this way and it's also acceptable to, to work in this way or yes. do you what i think shaping that mm. require is increasingly requiring leaders to articulate their kind of thoughts about their organization in quite a different way and in reality companies have always had that you'll always have had a yes, you know yeah. a sales and marketing team with a mm. certain set of culture which mm. is you know quite very different from a kind of 
in inverted commas back office team or a, whatever, whatever you might. And especially when you have organisations that have lots of branches or mm-hmm. you know or, or mm-hmm. people out on the road a lot. I mean, we do a lot of work with the construction sector, mm. and you know they. The workplace challenges that people face in those settings are, you know, completely different. Yeah. And this sector, you know, to their enormous credit, are really embracing the mental health kind of challenge mm. amongst their amongst their workforce. And they did it because they um, noticed that having done fantastic work on site safety, far more people in the construction sector were taking their own lives yeah. than, than were dying as a result of site-related mm-hmm. you know, physical accidents. Mm-hmm. And they're applying the same kind of lens of kind of safety to think about how they support people. And so that creates a different kind of culture. So it's a little... I wonder whether we're getting heading into a kind of horses for courses type yeah. space where people so. have to get the, right, get the right fit. Yeah, I think we are. I think that is it. It's about the right fit isn't it and about as you say some people need that certainty and security and routine not just for their for the for the company to function properly but for their own mental well-being some people need and like rigidity and routine and to say to them mm. you choose their hours would be absolutely yes. anxiety yes. 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 yes so yeah i think you're right we need to get the right fit for the right things um, can we talk a little bit about the Thriving at Work review? Yes. So, <laughs> have you named your podcast after? I know well, there's such we, for we want of a yes. less marketing <laughs> word. There's such synergy with us, Paul. Um, yeah. So, the Thriving at Work review. You were commissioned by Theresa May mm. to work on this, and if I'm right, you interviewed or, or as part of the review, 200 companies yeah. were interviewed, and obviously, Mind itself does the Workplace Wellbeing Index. So, you talk to companies all the time. What was your sense after after working on the review about where we are as a as a working society, how workplaces are doing when it comes to mental health in the workplace? You know, where next? So so when we did that work, we found first of all, I think we were pleasantly surprised by finding some really great examples of good practice. And I think we probably thought that they would mainly sit inside larger organizations that have kind of HR resource and so on mm. and so forth. And we did certainly found we certainly found those examples, mm. but we also found some really great examples of smaller businesses and public sector organisations and charities also doing great great work in this space. So that's very encouraging. Good. You know that enabled us to draw these relatively straightforward standards that we thought every yes. organisation mm. could follow. And 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 I think that was really our job was to kind of take the best of what we found and then turn that into something that everybody could relate to. And you know, it's nearly extraordinarily, it's nearly two years since we published the report. And I, I think this is part of a, you know, really significant shift in the way in which people are thinking about mental health mm-hmm. in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a kind of it's quite an important report because I think it kind of gave people the, the sense of a direction of travel, a kind of step up. And the place where we could, you know, the place where where people could go. And I think what we've seen in the last couple of years, so the arrival of the new Mental Health at Work website, which is Mm. a kind of gateway space Mm. for any organisation to access support. You know, I think we're seeing lots of more organisations doing uh, good work. And actually, in a funny kind of way, I suspect we're not very far away from needing to do another Thriving at Work report because things are changing very Mm. fast. I, I think the big things coming up are can we help organizations go the good ones to go from good to great? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So can we push those channel you know, those kind of pioneers further and they're definitely asking themselves that question. Secondly, how do we mainstream good mental health at work mm-hmm. in a way that 
doesn't require too many sticks or carrot, mm, if you like, yeah. really, you know, do because we've kind of worked on the basis that voluntary endeavour is the way to go here. People are going to do it for themselves. You're much mm. more likely, it's much more likely to work than if you wrap a load of regulation yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. But how far do, how far will that go? Yeah. And I don't think we yet know the answer because mm. there's still loads of people doing new, good, exciting work. And then I think the third dimension will be, do we need to change the rules of the game? So mm. do we need to change equality legislation? Mm. Do we need to change you know, what the new norm, do we need to redefine what the new normal yeah. needs to be in the context yeah. of some of the things we've been talking mm. about? And I think we're beginning to have those kinds of conversations, but those are the places where I think will be that the kind of next steps. But the, the moment, the momentum is extraordinary. Mm. So, you know, we have to, we almost, our job at Minds and with working lots of organisations in this area is to kind of help and support organisations to do it for themselves. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if we can get to that space and support all those champions who really want to do good things, where this is good, this is mm. this is a good space for us to be in. So, um, you know, you talked about there being great practice in big and small companies. Mm. I'm thinking about those small companies, perhaps you don't have a lot of budget, perhaps you don't have a dedicated HR function or big team. What would you say are some really practical, simple cheap things that, <laughs> that those people, those companies can do now to start having a positive impact on their people's mental health. So if you go to the Mental Health at Work website, so mentalhealthatwork.org.uk, there is a whole toolkit for smaller organisations, and we call them small organisations because businesses, charities, public sector, etc. And inside there is free online training to just raise your basic awareness and understanding about mental health and what you can do in your mental health workplace. It's been the whole site has been funded by the Royal Foundation. So mm. this is um, the this is what happens when you have famous people yeah. getting involved in mental yes, health. So Duke of Cambridge has been super superbly supportive of this space so that so that all of that is there for people to use and people are already using it in their thousands so that's that's my first top tip and we love I, free <laughs> and it's free it's totally it's all free i think my second my second suggestion would be if you're a smaller organization if you're an organization that can get everybody in a room mm. have a conversation about about mental health Ooh, have a revolutionary about yeah. yes, wow. that's such a great stuff. idea no uh, I'm, I'm being serious that people don't do it though do no, they? they don't no. no and you know we are um you know there's always hooks in the year when you can make this really easy so those are the kind of opportunities where people can just have that conversation and mm. small organizations can do that so much more easily you can yes. just get everybody in the t- yes. everybody into the room and say mm. okay today we're just going to talk about mental health and you don't need to be i think as we've already said you don't need to be an expert to do that yeah. you can yeah. you know you can just talk a bit about what you know and and actually that sometimes helps you to work out what mm. you don't know mm. but also what you what everybody wants to do about this and you might say well okay we've had this conversation we now know we know nothing in which case we'll go and <laughs> yeah. find a you know dial a friend dial yeah, yeah. mind dial a mental health first aid yeah, yeah. or whoever you might you can always give me a call guys and exactly <laughs> i mean there's so many you know one of the great uh, i think one of the great things about the work that's happening in workplace well-being is we're now seeing lots of people who are good and you know support the basic principles of what we what we set out in thriving at work who are helping organizations mm. to to do the right thing mm. so it's not i don't think it's difficult to find help and support now and 
what we try to do with the mental health at work side is to make it as easy as possible for yeah. people because we know that small organisations don't have much bandwidth yes. for this yes. for this particular yeah, area. You've I got so many clients. pressures, yeah, so yeah. many pressures. So let's make it as easy as we can. So I've got a question that's centred around the individual, mm. and all of us are individual, uh, which is wonderful. In terms of well-being, what advice would you give to somebody to take away as a practical way of managing their own well-being better? So I would suggest you spend 10 minutes thinking about what it is that helps you feel okay and write it down. And, you know, for as we discussed earlier, for some people that is Pilates. Yeah. And fruit. Fruit. <laughs> but for other people that might be going for a run. It might be reading. It might be listening to music. What is it that helps you feel okay? Mm-hmm. So that's the first question. And then the second question is what can you do about that in your working day? So mm-hmm. if you're commuting, can you use your commuting time to create that sense of well-being? Do you need to go for a walk at lunchtime to help just kind of declutter your head mm, or whatever know, it might yeah. be? Can you run, you know, can you fit in a run somewhere? What can you do just to do that, to kind of hardwire that into your working day? Mm-hmm. And we've all got so good, haven't we, at thinking about what we're going to, how much, you know, what are, how many calories are going to eat or how many glasses of wine we're going to have or whatever. Steps are going to take so or whatever, yeah. So we're getting so much better at doing that about our physical health. We're not yet doing that mm. for our mental yes. health. So can we just, yes. you know, and, and we know that for, we're all, we are all individual and different things help, different things will help us. So... Write down those three or four things that you, you know, you think will help you and then almost schedule them into your calendar. Yeah. You know, on Tuesday, I'm going to go for a run. On Thursday, I'm going to have a chat with a good friend. And again, it's easy. It sounds, you know, apologies for the statements of the blindingly obvious, but how often do we actually do that? Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. always the thing that falls to the bottom of the list, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and it's just yeah, it's just about how you help people navigate and find their way exactly. to the right places, yeah. isn't yeah, it? Exactly. And yeah. things that fit them. I was thinking about your both having an internal comms background, and I, I, I wonder whether that's a that's an there's an audience there of people who, especially on the well-being space, of people who are doing internal comms, and we're finding that a lot. Actually, I would have thought we're connected, yeah. um, with the Institute of Internal Communications. Ooh, gosh, I didn't even know that existed. So, yeah, so I do a lot of voluntary work for them. Okay, and um, you know the well-being agenda is is becoming a big thing. I mm. do some voluntary work for Engage for Success as well. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm doing some work on their well-being thought action group, and and I you know there's there's a, a lovely synergy with anyone that's involved with employees be that HR yeah. be that internal mm. comms be it employee engagement or even sort of leadership and development and I'm, what I'm finding is that there's a greater focus on the whole person rather than yeah. just the person that's yeah. at work mm. but internal comms are so critical to this I totally agree so yeah. critical yeah. and often internal comms people are on there's often only one of them in an organisation yeah. and they're often yeah. slightly Tactical, caught between a rock and a hard place, aren't they? But there are neither yeah. HR nor comms. Mm. No, I know. And oh, that's, yeah, we've, we've been there. I bet you've been, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, th- I, think it's a, I think it's actually an under-recognised skill. So I do a bit of work with internal comms people and, again, helping them figure out, you know, this whole mental health stuff, in inverted commas, <laughs> isn't just you know, the remit of HR or facilities or whoever. There's a lot that 
internal comms people can do to further the agenda to get yes. people talking to get feedback from staff to to push the leadership team to think about this and think about it in a strategic way i'm talking at the cipr inside conference next month actually and the theme is changing the conversation mm, so i'm great. quite excited to think about great. how i can use that theme to talk about yeah. changing the yeah. conversation around yeah. mm. very good and the role that internal comms people mm. play so great. well that's been wonderful paul I mean, I've learned so much. It's been amazing to talk to you. Very easy to chat. And I hope that's come across to our listeners as well. So thank you so much for your time. Lovely to meet you, Joes. Yes, and thank good you, luck. Joe Thank you very thank much. You. So that was an awesome chat. I loved it. I feel like we covered the kind of the big picture thorny deep dive of the issue but then down into the practicalities of it yes, as well exactly so implementable stuff that which is what we wanted practical implementable things that people could take away and also on on an individual level as well again similar to some of our other guests i loved the focus on being human being empathetic yes learning to feel confident having a conversation with someone or I also like what Paul said about if you don't feel confident just tell the person Mm. this is new for me but I really want to support you Mm. um how are you how are you Mm. doing let's have a chat so I loved that and I felt really hopeful actually because he's giving us because of his connections he's seeing how the working world is changing and it gave me real hope that actually the mental health agenda is being discussed it is being implemented it's being thought through much more thoughtfully (laughs) and I was really pleased to hear that through the thriving at work review he found that it's not just the big players who are tackling it that it is there is great practice in small businesses as well so there's no excuses guys another great episode in the can we hope you enjoyed it and we hope that you'll subscribe listen to us each week and we've got some great guests and episodes and issues coming up do give us your feedback do give us your questions send us your questions as well we because we do have episodes where we're talking about issues that relate to you you know that you've experienced that you're having challenges with and we want to be able to help you answer those conundrums around the workplace so that Something that's particular to you was probably particular to other people, which will resonate with others, which will be great. Again, it's all about practical advice and we want to share that advice with you. So we need your questions. Yeah, please get in touch with us. I am Joe Hooper on LinkedIn or at Mad and Sad Club on Instagram, where I love to hang out. And I'm Joanna Hall on LinkedIn. That's my favourite platform. I am on Twitter and Instagram as well. My handle is afire underscore Joe. I'm not so active on either of those platforms at the moment. So do catch me on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening Thank to you a guys. Place to Thrive. Another amazing episode. Oh, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Thanks for listening to A Place to Thrive. Do tune in next week. <laughs>